a ton about marriages. We know that there is probably no more difficult journey in your life that matters more, um, perhaps, than the journey you have with, um, you know, with God, and then probably with your spouse after that is probably the most difficult and challenging and beautiful um, you know, journey you might take. And so we, want, we don't want you to be alone in that. We hear often people tell us that they, you know, some of the prayer requests we get each week that get placed in the prayer wall, and um, some of the folks that call our church is going to need help for my marriage, and we want to take that seriously. And so um, like you might have kind of guessed, if you've been with us before, as we say this a lot, we don't have all the answers around here, but we certainly want to be sincere in our effort to follow Jesus and to love other people and to love, love each other. And so, um, like I said, we don't have all the answers. And you even heard that from the mentors who are saying, we've been married 40 years, we don't have all the answers, but there's some insight and some wisdom might be passed on to people who are just wondering, am I normal? Can we make it? All that kind of stuff. So very, very grateful for our marriage mentoring ministry is one of the things I, I brag about our church too, to, other, to our other churches. The Mariners is five churches, but I brag about the other pastors. I'm like, you guys have marriage mentoring? Huh, too bad. We totally do. So, you know, we do a lot of comparing around here and we're probably the best. So anyways, um, but, um, but anyway, it's a big deal to me. I really care a lot about it. It's important to our church. So anyway, my name is Jeff and I'm really, really excited about what's happening today at our church. This is going to be one, this is one of my favorite days that we have each year. This year's a little bit different. As Kim mentioned, we are... Um, you know, we're, we're talking about taking this wall down, and some of, you are, I, some of you have asked some great questions already. There's emails coming in, and people are like, well, what about this, and what about this, and what about this? And I'm like, okay, come to the vision night. We'll, we'll answer some of those questions. Your questions, by and large, have probably not, they're not brand new. They've been asked before. And so, um, well, I want to make sure you get them addressed. And some of you may decide after all that, you might go, well, I don't want to play. I don't like the idea. I love Uncle Wally, and I just want to keep... He needs to be around as he is, and I don't want to deal with him. That's okay. That's up to you. But if you want to play, love that you be a part of that at the Vision Nights. Um, one person, just to let you know, one person asked earlier, they said, hey, um, is there a way we can, you know, we got this packet, you know, can we, can we give online? Yes, you can. We just fi- we fixed that this week. So if you want to, you know, set that up as a recurring thing online, you can do that as well. Um, so that's on our webpage, all that stuff you need. All right, enough of that stuff. Um, you guys, we are, we are in, we, we have, this is, the, this is the last week of this Unleash the Impossible series. It has been so cool. Such great responses from you guys. So many great things. People um, are kind of coming back and telling us about what's happening. But in this series, Unleash the Impossible, which we've been saying the whole time, has come out of a leadership gathering we had in October, really. And we just kind of said, kind of talked about some of the things we felt like God was calling our church to do, some of the places we were going. And some of the things that emerged out of that was not just what does God do for us, which God does a lot for us, most definitely. Not only what does God do in us, which he does do a lot in us, but also what could God do through us. And more than ever, more than any other week during the series, the through us part is what we're going to talk about today. And if you were here last week, this will seem like a little bit of review to kind of make it make sense. But man, I'm, I'm really excited about what this means for our church. It is a defining moment for our church. If you're new with us, um, you'll get a sense of like, oh, this is what these people are about. And so, you know, if you weren't sure what we're about, now you'll know. Um, so it's going to be great. So let's do this. Um, well, I should say this. One of the things that has kind of marked our series the whole time has been this, ver- this verse from the book of John. John 14, verse 12, it says this, very truly, Jesus is speaking here, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Now, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, it's right at the Last Supper, and he's like, you guys, I gotta go, and they're kind of like, where are you going? All this, they're kind of panicking, and he says, whoever believes in me will do better stuff than me, greater things than I've even done, to which the, you know, disciples must have all said what we all would have said, which is, that's impossible, and yet this is what God has done in Jesus and through his church. And so we're gonna talk about that today. Let's pray together. Father, every single person in here, whether or not they're new, whether they believe uh, in you, whether they place their trust in you, whether they've wandered away or not, whether they're unsure, whether they have, their life is mostly doubts and um, 
very little certainty or very little faith, I should say, probably better, but Father, in some way or another, would you, every single person in here, Father, is looking for a way to make their lives matter, everyone in here. And so Jesus, as we consider all of the things that have pointed to that we do matter or that there have been moments in our lives where we've been told or lived out the truth that we don't matter, Jesus, would you, would you give us a powerful sense of what it means to have significance today? That you have given us significance because you created us, because we're in your image, because, Father, um, we are your most valuable masterpiece. So, Jesus, for just a moment, as we consider all of what our lives are ramping up to and the pace that we're headed, would you give us a moment of stillness that you might speak to us about not only that we matter, but the things that matter most? Jesus, we're grateful that you have said to us by your own action that we matter and that we're significant. Jesus, would that ring true today in a powerful way for everybody in this room? Might you elevate our own understanding of what you've called us to do to a new level? Might there be new excitement and new joy and new new discovery about what it is to follow you today, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen. I mean, all right, you got an outline in your bulletin. If you want to pull that out, I'm going to go kind of quick uh, because we got two parts of this message and they're, they're both really, really critical. So go ahead and grab your outline and pull that out. Some of you, like I said, if you were here last week, some of this will look a little bit familiar. But as you're doing that, um, uh, I, was, I, I was trying to figure out, you know, the, the idea of things that matter the most, I realized those things, things that matter most, they tend to shift based on the circumstances that you're in. Um, I was trying to think of a few examples. Like my, you know, a couple years ago, uh, my son started riding his bike to school, and now his sister kind of wants to, too. And it's like, we have to relive, how do we do this, you know? So, like, let me, what I mean by that is, what matters most when you're crossing the street, you know? I mean, it's like, well, let me ask you, what matters most when you're crossing the street? Look both ways. Everybody said look both ways. I kind of feel like that you live. I mean, I, it, that's kind of like what matters the most. Yes, you do. But I tell my kids, and most of my, all of my kids did this. They would go into the street and immediately look to their right, like they're in London. You know, it's like, no, no, you can't look that way first. You got to look left first, you know. There's no cars. Yeah, there are. You know, I had to yank some of them back like that. You know, if you had to ask the question, what matters most when you're meeting someone new? What would you say? Ooh, what? Get their name? Make eye contact, make a good impression. What else? Have a mint? I mean, who knows? Whatever it is, there's a number of things you got to be aware of, right? What happens when you, when I'm talking to my son's now 11 and, you know, like we're, we're kind of getting to a place where there's like, what do you do when you meet a girl? Like, you know, like that's not yet, but it's coming and he's, you know, how do you do that? What's most important there? What's most important when you take the SATs, when you have a job interview or when you're raising your kids, all of these things, we start trying to figure out what matters most and somehow or another, a lot of times that shifts, but we all sort of want at some level, if we could boil down the activity of the church. We want to know if you could take a big shot at what the church is all about. If you could boil it all down to one thing. If we're doing one single guiding principle, we all want to know the answer to the question. What's the only thing that counts? For a lot of us, we look at the Bible, it's so complicated. We Maybe you tried to read it all the way through one year or something like that or one time, and you're like, man, 
Some of this is really gory and pretty action-oriented. Some of it's really bizarre. Some of it makes absolutely no sense. It's really tough to read. How would we boil it all down to a thing that really matters? How could we get this thing really crystallized to one thing that counts? What really counts? Now, last week I, I talked about this. It was a powerful moment for us. Kim mentioned it already that we talked about all those things that keep us from God, uh, think walls that are between us and God and walls between us and each other. And we put it on a post-it note and put it on the wall right there, which, you know, so literally embodying this idea of things that get in the way. And we had this, this powerful moment. It was really cool. And, and I remember this. I said this last week too, is what God does. There's one thing that God does. Kim already summarized it. God tears down anything that separates people from himself and each other. And we spent some time considering what that might look like. I mean, this is God's effort in the world. What he wants to do, what he intends to do at his own great cost in his son Jesus did everything, that would ever, did everything to take away walls that would separate himself from us and from us from other people. This is what God's mission is. What God does is to take down walls. Now, I want to continue in that vein again, which is a little bit different. Which is, I just want to give you a sense here of, if you're worth this last week, you have on your outline the same graph I put in there from last week. I just want you to see this again. It's this right here. This is the way the first century world is divided. You have at the center of it, remember we talked about this last week, you have the holiest place in the whole world, which is the temple, the holy of holies. Outside of that is the holy place, which isn't a clever name. It's just less, most holy than the most holy place. And then you have the temple, Jerusalem, Judea, which is all of that sort of area that includes people that follow God, uh, Israel's God. And then you have the world of the outsiders. Now, what's important is whatever separates people and places, there's always a way in which people, the unclean are kept from the clean people, and the further outside you are, the less clean you are, and always the intention is to protect the inner circles from the outer circles because they're unclean. Now, what we found in Jesus last week is this. Jesus' effort is always sort of contrary to the popular thinking because he's always with people who are unclean. We mentioned this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, who was a tax collector, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with, such, with tax collectors and sinners or notorious sinners or such scum? Now, Jesus is a person representing who is all, he's God's person. He's God's guy. He's got God's kingdom initiative happening. He's unleashing that into the world and he keeps hanging out with people who are unclean. We saw this as well. The son of man, which is the title for Jesus, came eating and drinking and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, which means everybody looking at Jesus is like, you are doing it wrong. You keep going to the places where nobody else is supposed to be, where every good person knows that you're not supposed to be with these people. It's worth reiterating here that the belief is that God will rescue his people, but the question is, who are his people? For the first century, people are going, God's going to rescue us. And they're going, well, who's us? Who are his people? And generally, the way that got got translated is essentially, his people are the righteous. Or in other words, to say it, those who are righteous enough will be rescued by God, but everybody else, probably not. And so there's this conversation that begins where people start going, that looks like he might be from God, but he keeps hanging out with the wrong people, which means the wrong people aren't, he's, he's not around us, he's around these other people, the religious would say. He's around all these people who nobody else wants. That means he's, he can't be the guy because we're righteous. We're kind of on the inner circle and all those people are unclean. And so you start having this really is hatred that blows up. There's some scholars who would say the, the reason why, that the most powerful reason why Jesus was put on the cross by the powers at the time was because of the nature of his associations more than anything else, more than any other claim. You know, you could even make that case. But basically, if Jesus, who's claiming to be God's representative, who's hanging around with the wrong people, breaking down 
walls. Now there's people, the general sort of consensus about the people that have a problem with Jesus. There's sort of a consistent thing about people who have a problem with Jesus and his mission, particularly as it pertains with people who do not look and feel like the us of the rest of the world. It's people with something to lose. These are people who have a power to wield, a comfort to hold on to, resources perhaps to give up. These are people who go and they look at themselves, they go, they have a status to hold perhaps, they go, I have something to lose if I get on board with what Jesus' mission is all about. The people with nothing to lose were like, great, come on, I need you, Jesus. But people had something to lose, power or comfort, resources, whatever it might be, a status. Those people start going, I'm not sure I could follow him because he's really challenging everything I understood before. Now, the idea of people with something to lose, that's everybody in here. That's everybody, which means to say it kind of poorly, there's Jesus cannot not be a challenge to every single person in this room. Jesus cannot not be a challenge to every single person in this room. Every single person in this room has something to lose by following Jesus and somehow embracing this mission. It's not just simply, thank you, God, for what you give me in Jesus. There's a part, there's some kind of component, at least it appears, in Jesus' mission, which was, yeah, you get to walk with me. And the fullest kind of life is going to seem a little bit bizarre because you're going to have to give up some stuff to achieve it. Which people are like, I'm not sure I want that. Now, remember, I, I would say most often, well, remember, we're talking about what's the, what's the only thing that counts. And I would say the people with the most to lose and the people that have the most trouble with this idea of what Jesus is going to say, what matters the most, what the church reiterates over and over again, which we tend to lose, I would say the people that have the hardest time with this are good church people, really good church people. Because I think for when, when good church people try to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, there is most often a sense that what I ought to do is protect myself and my family from any ideas or ideologies or people who challenge my thinking and living. It's not to say that every ideology is right or good, but there's a sense that says they think and act differently than me, which means I should probably isolate myself from them. And there's a biblical precedent for that, which is this. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. We tell our kids basically this. Are you hanging out with morons? Stop hanging out with morons. Okay, that's dumb. Okay, and we all know that's a, there's a good reason for that kind of thinking. But there's a problem in this, which all of us tend to kind of maybe miss every so often. I know that I do. Which is that when we look at this kind of stuff, which is in the Bible, it's reasonable. There's a precedent for this kind of thinking. It's that more often than not, we start finding a greater, greater, greater and greater expansion for the idea of who fools are. And start saying over and over again, those people who are fools are deserving of unlove. The devastating effect of this, if it fully presses itself all the way out, is we start saying, well, those people don't get to be loved. So when the Bible says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm, we start thinking, well, give the fools no respect. Don't love them. In fact, if there's anybody we don't kind of like and they feel like they might be on an outer ring from us, then we just give them the fool tag and say, well, you're a fool. They get branded. The devastating effect of this kind of thinking, because there's an us and a not us, the devastating effect of not us is that we start thinking, well, that's an excuse for unlove. I heard a story last week. A woman came to me and just said, I, I got to tell you, I was thinking about something as you put the circles on the screen and I was looking at that stuff and um, she goes, there's a woman in my neighborhood that nobody wants to talk to and she is, she, she's like, well, and she's kind, of, she's kind of troubling. I mean, she's, you know, she's tough to be around. 
And she said, what I'm, what I'm trying to feel, she goes, I just really feel like this is a person who we've deemed or has gotten the fool brand who's in our neighborhood and nobody wants to talk to her and everybody's just wanting for her to leave. Everybody wants her to just vanish, to just disappear because that would be so much easier. And she's going, Jeff, what do you think I should do? She goes, I don't, you know, she's not safe. I can't like have her come over and like watch my kids or, you know, whatever. It's like, I'm like, well, and this is what I said. I said, well, maybe maybe all, the only thing you need to do is to start acknowledging that she's there. Then maybe it's as simple as if everybody ignores someone, then maybe it's as simple as, hey, how's it going, name of person? Nice to see you. Good morning. If everybody ignores, then maybe there's a part in which there's it's some kind of understanding about human dignity that's right in our own neighborhood, that maybe this is what Jesus is talking about in some way. But it's complicated, right? I mean, we don't want to be the companion of fools. We want to live sort of these right and good lives. And yet, there's still this other component of somehow not letting ourselves become unloving people. But there's one thing. This Galatians 5, 6, second half of it at least is this. The only thing that counts, if you had to boil it down, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts. We have all these things we're worried about, all these things we're trying to take care of, everything we're supposed to do. The only thing that counts, everybody in the church, is faith expressing itself through love. There's a lot of things we get carried away with and a lot of things we're super, that are super important in our lives and so many things that are critical and the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts. To summarize, to boil down what we're all about, it's faith expressing itself through love. That is a challenge. Now to give you some background, I, I, I owe it to you to do this, this this verse, this is only half of a Bible verse, which is, you can, if you take half of Bible verses and try to make whole things out of them, you kind of get into some trouble. So I'll just give you the context to make sure that I'm not completely off the rails here. But here's what's happening. In this church in Galatia that Paul's writing to these folks, and he's telling them about Jesus, and they're getting all excited about Jesus, and they start following him, the church starts to boom, and people are having all kinds of great conversations. And then what would happen is this. People after Paul, or people during the time of Paul, would show up and they would say, hey, you know what you've got to do to be someone who is a follower of Jesus, you got to become Jewish first because Jesus is the Lord's Messiah and that's, he's Jewish. So if we're all going to do this right, everybody's got to become Jewish. These are people called Judaizers. And what they say, to, this is, you know, to all of these different groups of people who are not all from the Jewish background, these are all people from, you know, the Greek, they have Greek backgrounds and Roman backgrounds and they're all different stuff. And what, he, what they start saying is, you know, hey, Greek guys, you're going to have to undergo a little surgery. <laughs> It's not, it's like, it's just only, it's painful and embarrassing, but, you know, just want to let you know, because we're serious about God. And they're like, wait, Paul, help. And Paul says, essentially, I mean, I'll boil it down. He says, all of what you're trying to do is going to undermine Jesus' work to the Judaizers. And he says, among all the religious practices and all the things you're trying to do right, don't miss the only thing that counts. Don't just assume by having the right religious practices that you've got everything nailed. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now that is a big deal. That's a challenge because there's so many ways in which people might miss all of the greatness of what God intends for us by the religiousness of practices 
of church. And the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters, faith expressing itself through love. There's a line I remember from the movie Walk the Line. I'll misquote, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. From the movie Walk the Line with Johnny Cash, you know? Great movie. And there's a line in which the record producers are kind of gathering around him and they're going, hey, you know what? Your fans are all are Christians. They're good church people. And they don't want to hear you making some murderers and thieves and, you know, inmates feeling better about themselves, trying to make them feel better. You know, we don't, they don't like you associating with those people. And Johnny Cash's line in the movie, I don't know if it's historical or not, says, well, then they ain't Christians. Meaning... The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, not the insulation of ourselves from other people who are around us. No, no, no. The most important thing is faith expressing itself through love, which means there, anything that is less than love, the people who belong to Jesus have to go, that's, that's unacceptable. But we miss it, don't we? Miss it from time to time. We miss, it's very easy to miss stuff all the time. I, um, I, I, you know, I, I, how many of us have ever in a moment, and maybe you've, maybe you've never done this, but you've like, I mean, you've been looking for your keys that are in your pocket. Like, where are my keys? Oh, I'm late. And they're in your pocket. Have you ever been looking around scrambling at, went back to a restaurant after you left or you sat out on the patio and you're, you're looking for your sunglasses and they're like on your shirt or on the top of your head. You're like, I don't, have you guys seen my sunglasses? They're really important to me. They're, you know, they're really I bought them at Walmart, and they're really expensive, and I just want to make sure that I don't lose those. And they're like, on your head. Oh, right, I know. It's fun. Good to see you. Have a great day. You know, like, you just, it's the ultimate embarrassing. I've actually yelled at my own children, demanded they, they give me back my cell phone when it's in my own pocket or in my own hand. Where is my phone? Guys, I have to go. It's in your hand, Dad. That's right. It is. Where it belongs. We'll talk about what that means later when I figure out how to make it make sense. But we miss things that count all the time. It's so easy to miss those things. The most important things in our lives get missed all the time. They get missed. The most important, the most obvious things get missed all the time. Paul says, here's the only thing that counts, the faith expressing itself through love. It's easy to miss it. But here's something I would want to just impress upon you, or at least as I was thinking about it, as it feels like, man, this is hitting me right between the eyes. The most important things don't always get missed. They get avoided. The most important things in our lives, the things that matter the most, don't just get forgotten. They get avoided. Now, I feel like I could do a whole talk just on that sentence. Just on that sentence. But I only want to talk about one aspect of it. Because I was thinking about it in terms of like my own parenting. I was thinking about it in terms of my own marriage. I was thinking about it in terms of my own decisions in my own life. I mean, there's lots that this, this could go. But the most important things in life, they don't get missed. They get avoided. When we're talking about the idea of the importance, the only thing about faith expressing itself in love, it is easy for us not simply to miss the most important things, but to consciously or unconsciously avoid them. You know, I was looking, if you look at Jesus' critique of all the religious leaders at the time, these group of people called the Pharisees. All the time, he keeps calling them blind guides. You blind Pharisees. He keeps telling them, you're not seeing the world as it is. You have made yourself a little religious cocoon, and you've missed the rest of the world around you. You have missed it. You've missed the most important things all the time. He talks about how they burden the religious leaders, burden the people with impossible religious demands, and yet, Jesus says, you don't even lift a finger to help them. He says, you strain your water to catch a gnat, but you swallow a camel. 
It's a great line. I mean, just the visual is awesome, right? How'd that camel get in there? But he says, don't miss this most important, the only thing that counts. And I'm going to, you know, this faith expressing itself in love, he kind of summarizes that Jesus is kind of one of his last moments with his disciples. He summarizes it in the book of Matthew like this, and perhaps you've heard this before, but I'll show it to you. Anyways, we'll go through this really quickly. It's Matthew 25. When the Son of Man, this is speaking of Jesus, comes in his glory, this is talking about the end of kind of time, Jesus is kind of in front of everybody, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in home or needing clothes or, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, very truly I tell unto you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. In other words, There are always going to be people who need love, who need to see faith expressed in love. And the people who Jesus is speaking about, who have put their faith into action, who have actually seen their own faith become a way to express, their their own faith has been expressed in love. They go, when did we see you sick or in prayer? You weren't in prayer. We didn't see you there. And he goes, because you saw people who needed love. Love, if you do that, then you've done that to me. Because you get in this passage, there's one thing that people cannot be in Jesus' mind, invisible. There is one thing that people can never be to us that's invisible, which means we have to be people who see people and do not ignore who are moved with compassion, who understand that what it means to be in the world for the world, or as we say it, in the community for the community, means nobody gets to be called invisible. That is what makes faith expressed in love work. You, people who follow Jesus, if you can do this to one degree more, you are understanding what God's mission in the world is through you. That is the way the impossible gets unleashed in the world. It's through people who go, nobody else is going to be invisible. Now, I was, just really quickly, I want, we have some important stuff I want to do. I was, I was a high school pastor a long time ago, and I, we're, we're, I took a bunch of students. We did this like tour of L.A. We did kind of a leadership thing. We took people to really rich parts of L.A., and we took them to Skid Row, and we worked with some organizations there, and I was trying to impress upon these students, hey, you know, one of the things we do is we just want to pay attention when we're with homeless folks. One of the things was, you know, buy lunch and eat, eat lunch with um, a homeless person. So we did. Bought lunch. We hung out the whole time. I'm like, you know, I'm talking to this guy. I'm like, Mike, it's so good to see you. Mike, Mike. Like, I've said his name over and over again. Mike, it's, you know, just tell us about your story. And Mike, what about your family? And Mike, what about this? And really overemphasizing this person's name because I wanted the students to hear it, right? 
And I was like, this is, I just want you guys to catch this because we're making a point here that we're, you know, like at the end of my debriefing and I go, what'd you guys see? And I go, how many, how many of you guys heard me calling Mike a bunch? They all raised their hand. And I go, what'd you think about that? One guy, they, no one raises their hand. No one says anything. I'm like, what, what's up? And they go, well, he told us his name was John. It's <laughs> ah. really good. Can I have my cell phone back? The one that's in my hand? I mean, same kind of thing right there. The students had captured something that I missed, which is I was trying to do some religious work and miss the most important thing. And what's in front of us is faith expressing itself in love. How does that look like? What does it look like for our church to be in the community for the community? Well, there is something really critical about that. And I want you to understand, when we talk about this idea of the wall and everything else, one of the walls that tends to be between churches and their community is, is an ability to see people invisibly, and that's not our church's heart. And so in a moment, I'm going to have my hair come up here and tell you about what that looks like for us today. Some of you are like, why is there all that stuff out there? What's the truck doing there? And what are we doing? My hair is going to tell you what that's about. And you're going to go, I'm going to be a part of that. And it's like, because you're thinking, I, I have, I have, I am really busy. There is a lot of, uh, there's NBA basketball on today. Uh, and there's some other things happening. So you're wondering what else you got to do. My hair is going to tell you, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you some, like, we're all going to do this. So my hair, come on up here. This is my hair, Salhani. He's awesome. He has, he, wait, can you just do a quick little, can you just spin around real quick? I want people to see your hair. That is, yeah. Yeah, we call that the mahawk because he's got my hair, but now it's the mahawk. So, my hair, tell us about how to activate this stuff, how to put this love in action. All right, all right. Well, good morning, guys. It's so great to be together with you uh, on Outreach Weekend. It's one of my favorite weekends of the whole year where we get to put Jesus on display with what we're doing in the community and around the world. And I'm so excited to, to share with you guys what God has for us in this season and what, he has, what he's calling us to today. And we've been talking a lot about unleashing the impossible uh, and, and, and tearing down anything that separates us from him and each other. And whether it's the things that we wrote down on the post-it notes and, and placed on the wall last week or the walls that exist between us and, and our community or this actual wall that divides our sanctuary, we are in the business of tearing down walls. That's, that's what we do. And so that naturally leads us to ask the question, what has God called the church to be? And I want you to know that God has called the church to be, the local church to be, the hope of the world and the hope of its community. Just in case you didn't hear me, let me just repeat that one more time. God has called us. That means you and me all of us together to be the hope of the world and to be the hope of our community. Now that might sound crazy to you, but you guys have seen Jeff come up for seven weeks straight and, and mention uh, John fourteen twelve, where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and will do even greater things than these. Guys, he's talking to us. He is talking to Mariner's Mission Viejo. He's talking to us. And you know, you might be saying to yourself, yeah, 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 you know, we hear you, mahair on fire, or as some of you call me, mohair on fire. I'm, I'm not mad at you. I just think it's, it's hysterical. You know, like, it's, it's hilarious, like, uh, when you guys call me that. So don't, don't be afraid. Um, just as long as you get my attention. I'm fine with that. Um, but, but, but you're probably saying to yourself, you know, well, what does this mean? What does this look like? I want to tell you guys a story. 
In the first century, there were these two leading rabbis, one called Shammai and the other called Hilal. And they both believed in what Deuteronomy 6 says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But when it came to the most important thing, they disagreed. Shammai would say, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and be holy. Hilal would say, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Shammai's congregation, you know, they, <laughs> they kept themselves clean and holy. But what they ended up doing was creating a fortress around themselves that no one could, could come into. No one was welcome into. Hilal's congregation opened themselves up and were willing to get their hands dirty and put, the needs, and, and put the needs of others in front of their own. And what they ended up doing is creating an oasis where people could come and drink and be a part. See, as I look at this story, I can't help but see myself. When I was a Muslim for the first 20 years of my life, the most important thing to me was to put my holiness and my purity first. But as I look back and see the people that God has brought into my life, people that were willing to sacrifice and put me in front of their own needs, that, that has made a tremendous difference. And I promise you that I would not be standing in front of you here today walking with Christ if it wasn't for people like that, if it wasn't for people like you, if it wasn't for the church. I want you to know that we are not a Shammai church maintaining our holiness. We are a Halal church willing to sacrifice and willing to put the needs of others in front of our own. And I know if someone like me were to walk into this place or come across you in your neighborhoods, that you would care for them and you would treat them in that same way that I was treated. And for that, for that, I, I love you guys for that. And I'm so proud that, that you guys are my brothers and sisters in Christ and that this place is my church and is my home. See, in order for the local church to be the, the hope of the world and the hope of its community, it has to put the needs of others in front of itself. And we look at what Paul says in Philippians 2, 1 and 4. It says, if you have gotten anything at all of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, Basically, if you are alive, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourselves aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. See, if we ever lose sight of this, we are no longer the church. We are no longer a church. We're just a group of people that are just hanging out, listening to some really good music, and a talented speaker. And before we know it, this place becomes a fortress where no one is welcome. 
This is why outreach is such an integral part of the church because it continually challenges us to put the needs of others in front of our own. And as I was thinking about this this week, I couldn't help but remember the story of Dave and Susan. And, and I'd love to share that story with you guys uh, through this video. Well, I was really trying to be super mom because I was working. I had my own business. I worked from home. Um, I was also trying to raise the kids and truly just trying to be the perfect Orange County mother. Before I was saved and before the recession, I was spending the bulk of my time just concentrating on my career. What I was trying to get by chasing money and by chasing my career was satisfaction, was um, fulfillment. When I went down to Haiti for that first time, and I, I literally felt like um, I could break, and that's really what happened. I just had this incredible, massive panic attack. It was not being able to breathe, it was not being able to even rationalize. And in that moment, somebody on our team prayed with me about strongholds, and I gave the stronghold of fear up to God. It was so freeing, and I could breathe for the first time in a decade. And serving let me see that, because I took myself out of my everyday situation. I went to a place where I didn't have the, the distractions of home and the distractions of family, and I was able to really hear God for the first time. I felt immediately a peace and joy from one day of serving that I had never experienced from a giant paycheck or a new car. The, the contrast between the two isn't even comparable, really, mainly because I could feel, truly feel the spirit in me, and, and I could feel um, the love that I was getting back from the people that I was serving, and, I, and the love that I was able to give, and it was just genuine. I used to define wealth as money and possessions, and now I define wealth as the joy that I get from being with other people and serving and just seeing how that makes a difference, not only in my life and Susan's life, but our daughter's life, serving with your kids is phenomenal. It's just affected every single thing we do as a family. And that's when we're happiest. And the fact is that there's always time. There's always an opportunity to do it. There's always some finances that can be done. And really time is, we tell people, that's the most precious thing you can give. You don't have to give money, you can give your time. And if you give that, that's a non-replenishable resource that is the most precious gift you can give to someone. And that's a couple hours on a Saturday going down and helping someone who needs help. That's serving. Awesome, awesome, yes. Clap for that. Guys, this is such a beautiful picture of putting others before yourself and the impact that it has on you and those around you. And. And so now we ask the question, what does this look like for us? Well, first, I want to point out what we together have been able to accomplish and we're continually doing in the community. You know, whether, and, and excuse me, I'm just going to go on a little rant here. But whether, whether we're, we're, you know, we, we are continually caring for our community by partnering with schools and community organizations that care for children and families. And we're going to do that again with Serve Day 2.0 this coming summer. You know, we're going to partner with, with Saddleback as they, as they care for their community, Saddleback College, uh, to provide a pl and, and provide a place for them, for students to call this place home. We're going to love the elderly that many have put away and forgotten about. We're going to continue to care for the homeless by providing them uh, a holistic opportunity to see Jesus and, and, to, and to get off the street. We're going to continue to support families in crisis 
by taking their kids in temporarily with safe families. And we're going to continue to provide homeless families with food and housing and an opportunity to stand up on their own two feet. And we're going to continue to build churches and homes in Mexico for people to see Jesus. And, and we're going to open up a new front in Uganda to help the church there uh, go faster and further. And guys, we're going to continue to be in the community for the community, whether it's across the street or around the world. But today we have, we have, we have three unique opportunities that are beckoning a response. And when you walked in this morning, you were handed the bulletin, and inside that bulletin was this card. If you could pull that card out. The first opportunity on, around there is kids around the world. And you guys, when you walked in, you saw all that was going on in the patio. You know, lately we haven't been hearing much about Ebola in the news. It's kind of faded away. But the reality is, is there, there is a crisis in Liberia currently for children and families. And because of the impact that Ebola has had on, on Liberia, there is a catastrophic food shortage. And so all five Mariner's campuses have come together and going to uh, put together m- meals for, for children and families in Liberia. And we're going to fill a 40-foot container sending more than, more than a, a, a few hundred uh, thousand meals uh, to, to Liberia. And we're going to get an opportunity to do that all together after service. So please join us for that. And, and if you, you're thinking about second breakfast or whatever, we have donuts and bagels and coffee for you guys. Uh, there's, there's no excuse why you shouldn't join us. Next uh, on, on the list is Viejo Elementary School Project. We began a great work with Serve Day uh, in June, this past June. But we're about continuing our partnership. We're in it for the long haul. And so we're going to partner with them in launching uh, an education piece for each of their classrooms uh, with, with, the, with their new garden. And last but not least is, is a Mexico home build that we're doing uh, and also uh, a revamp of, uh, of a, cafe, a church cafe there. And, and it's, it's been amazing to be part of that network. And, and the home that we're building is for a family that has just been integral, just amazing in, in, bu- in building the church network there. So guys, I, I want you to take a couple minutes and just, and just fill this out and tear the bottom off. It's peripheral. Tear it off and put it in a basket as you're, ha- you're walking out because what we're going to do is send you an email early next week with more instructions. Guys, I look forward to seeing you out on the patio, and I'm just so excited what we get to do together. Thank yeah. you, guys. All right. All right. Good job. we got stuff to do. Thank okay. You. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, so everybody in here, you, you know, you're worried about what are we going to do for our brunch plans or whatever. We got all the food groups represented. Donut, bagel, cream cheese, coffee. You're set. Okay. You don't need anything else. All right. So we're going to hang out, out out on the patio together afterwards in a moment. But before we do that. Is that ready? To connect the idea, which is so critical for us. Between Mike. Okay. <laughs> he turned his mic off. <laughs> Nick, his mic's on. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't swear when he went out there or something, you know. <laughs> oh, you know. But anyway. Um, we have a lot of great work to do because we're people who look at the world and say nobody will be invisible because we're going to get an opportunity to say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. But that's an expression of worship, and so is singing. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to stand right now, right now. And we're going to sing Our God is Love, and then I'm going to send you out after that, all right? So sing like you've never sung before, although that's not a line in this song. It's another song. Shoot. That would have been cool to say that in another song. Anyway, every soul, every beating heart, every nation, every tongue, that's you. 
Everybody, we're going to sing with full hearts. We're going to be energized to serve and to work in love. So let's, let's do that. All right. Sing. Every soul, every beating heart, every nation and every tongue, come find hope in the love of the Father. Our creation will bow as one, lift their eyes, see the risen sun. He's the Savior forever and after. Hey! This is love. Jesus came and died and gave His life for us. Let our voices rise and sing for all He's done. Fear is overcome. One is this. 
uh, one of the things we do when we have Outreach Weekend is it's generally a time to take a, an offering. And this, this particular time for Outreach Weekend, uh, what we're going to do is this. We've decided that part of, as part of keeping our focus on our community always is, you know, in the community for the community is part of 10% of what we raise to take this wall down will go directly into the outreach ministry, into the community. So just so you know, that's what that's going to be part of. Yeah, you can know that right now. Now, so that's going to be great. We're always 